Hi, and welcome to Main Street Matters by Heart on Main Street, the podcast that's dedicated to helping the independent retail community by sharing their stories and providing tips on how to grow your business and thrive within your local community. I'm your host, Patrick Kaiser. A couple things before we get going today. If you'd like to support this show or the organization Heart on Main Street, you can go to heartonmainstreet.org. As I've mentioned in the last few episodes, we are working on providing you all with some Heart on Main Street merch. Uh, so you'll be able to purchase that through our website. I've seen some of the, the designs that we're working on. They look really good. I'm excited to bring them to you. But if you don't care about any of that, you can also support our organization by registering for our webinars, checking out our Friends of Main Street Network, which is a network of companies that specialize in providing services to independent retailers. Or you can also make a donation through our website, heartonmainstreet.org. All donations are tax deductible as we are a 501c3 nonprofit. And I'll write you a nice thank you note because I really do appreciate your support. As I mentioned last week, we are looking for sponsors or advertisers for this podcast. I promise not to overwhelm you with the amount of ads, but in order to do some great things for retailers, we do need to generate some money. If you know of a company or preferably an independent retailer that would like to sponsor or advertise on our podcast, let's talk. You can send me an email at contact at heartonmainstreet.org. We can work something out for a very fair compensation as a donation. And lastly, before we get to the main topic, I would love to interview more retailers. Part of the concept of our Main Street Mondays event, which you can follow along on Instagram and Facebook every Monday by following at Heart on Main Street, all one word, was that I'd like to interview retailers of these towns while I was there. This was really good in theory, but it's also much more difficult in practice since the retailers also have to run their stores unless they have a staff that can do that for them. But as we know, staff is in short supply in retail right now. So if you're a retailer and you would like to do an interview for this podcast where we talk about your journey into retail ownership and the things that you've learned as an owner, I would love to speak with you whether or not I've visited your town during a Main Street Monday. So send me an email. Let's chat. Again, my email is contact at heartonmainstreet.org. Now on to the good stuff. In this episode, we're going to be talking about two Main Street Monday communities that I have recently visited. However, unlike other episodes, we're not going to do them in a consecutive order. Today, I'm going to talk about St. Charles and Goshen, Indiana. Now, for those of you who have been following along my journey, you might notice I'm skipping Lanesboro, Minnesota. I will come back to good old Lanesboro. I loved my visit there. But St. Charles and Goshen have some similarities in what their towns are doing to help promote business that I want to bucket them together in one episode. So let's start with St. Charles. St. Charles was a town that was familiar to me as someone who has lived in northern Illinois a good portion of my life. But I've never been there before, or had never been there before. It was one of these cities that you hear about and that sound very nice, but for one reason or another, I'd never really gotten to. However, as I started to do these Main Street Mondays, I had more and more people tell me in my life that I needed to go visit St. Charles. Have you been to St. Charles? Oh, you should really feature St. Charles. It's wonderful. So I was not invited to this town like some of the others that I've talked about more recently but it was highly recommended for me to go. It's not that far of a drive for me. It's easy enough for me to get to from Chicago. So it was added to the list. 
which by the way is growing and growing if you would like your town to be featured on a main street monday send us a message on instagram or facebook or send me an email again my email address is contact at heartonmainstreet.org so located along the fox river in northern illinois saint charles is known as the pride of the fox which i thought was just kind of a fun nickname but with its growing arts and culture and shopping and dining scenes, you can really easily see why. There's a ton of pride in the city, and there's a lot to be proud of. The river itself is this central feature of downtown, bisecting Main Street, but really inviting pedestrians to explore both sides of the downtown. It's this ever-constant presence that provides a feeling of calmness amid a changing landscape. They've done a really beautiful job of incorporating the river into the city. And this is one of the things that really struck me about St. Charles. It was this perceived intentionality about everything that they do within the city. The bridge that crosses the river is pretty and well-designed. Having artwork and really a history tour of the city as you walk. But it's also set up to give you a gorgeous view of the downtown along the river. While I was there, I stood on the bridge and I looked at the buildings. I watched men fly fish and others kayak. It was peaceful. It was idyllic. And there was this artwork on the bridge. But speaking of artwork, St. Charles has done a really creative thing in order to get people to explore their downtown and go to areas that maybe they wouldn't have if not prompted. I first noticed this when I was touring the downtown area and I noticed a brightly colored mural depicting different things to do in St. Charles. Food, biking, fishing, shopping, the bridge, the river, you know, lots of different things on this mural. It had a big Welcome to St. Charles caption on it. And then to the side of the mural I noticed a QR code. Well, since I was already there and inquisitive, I decided to scan it and see where it brought me. The website it linked to told me that there were different, I believe like four similar murals throughout the downtown. Each had a different name and a different theme, but the art style was relatively similar. The website described them and told you where you could find them. And I looked on the map and noticed that they were all fairly spaced out throughout the downtown area. Some on side streets, some in commercial alleyways, Basically, it created this scavenger hunt for people to find these five murals and explore the city while doing so. They're fun, they're Instagrammable, people want to take pictures in front of them. It allows people to do an activity while exploring. I really loved this idea. My one thought about this that I didn't see, and if it's already built in, my apologies to Travel St. Charles, you guys probably thought about this already, uh, but it would be to give away some prize for finding all five murals. So something like if you went and you scanned the QR code at all five different murals, you get a coupon code that gives you 10% off at a local participating store or a restaurant or something like that. You know, nothing gigantic, same thing that you would give if you added your email to a, to a, a mailing list. But it's something that kind of gamifies the activity some and allows people to participate in that. I loved the idea of it though, just these murals, a scavenger hunt, being able to go out and find these things throughout the city. This whole concept, the effort put into the aesthetics of the bridge, the carefully placed murals throughout the downtown, 
really typified what I noticed in St. Charles. There was a deliberate effort to make Main Street and the downtown area a place to be. St. Charles has focused on growth and cultivating a community spirit amongst its residents. This becomes even more evident if we look at the infrastructure intentionally constructed to provide more walking spaces and gathering places throughout the Main Street District. Along the Fox River, the city has built a river walk area that encourages people to stroll along the riverbank or grab a bite to eat from a nearby restaurant, sit on the steps, and enjoy the peaceful scenery. The city has also built a plaza connecting a section of restaurants on Main Street to the more commercial area of First Street. Essentially, the back patios of a few restaurants all converge into one plaza that also has storefronts lining it. This gives the residents and visitor, visitors alike a place to congregate, to dine, to rest their feet after a long day of shopping. There's an area for live music to be played. You can imagine this to be quite the spot during a long summer evening. You finish off shopping at a local store, you walk across the plaza to your favorite local restaurant, you enjoy a drink of your choice, you listen to a local band play. That sounds quite nice. St. Charles is also currently constructing an expansion to this project that will see additional gathering places in the closure of First Street to Cars to allow for a safe and more walkable shopping district. This is a huge project that they're undertaking and the plans for it look incredible. I've been following along with its, with its progress since I visited St. Charles and I'm really impressed by what they're doing. There will be more trees, more areas to sit outside, a walking path instead of a road, Infrastructure elements like this are significant steps that communities can take to help develop commercial growth. People want to stay in one location to shop. They want to be able to walk to different stores. If you have to get into your car and drive to many different locations, you lose steam and it becomes more of a daunting task than an enjoyable activity. Added to that, People also want to feel safe while they're walking from store to store. They don't want to have to dodge cars or worry about a car traveling too fast or whether or not it's going to stop at a stop sign for pedestrians. So closing off this street to cars and making it much more accessible to pedestrians is going to be a big boon for the local economy. It almost seems counterintuitive, but the fewer cars in the area, the better for shopping. Now, because we live in a pretty car-centric society, you do have to put your car somewhere, and St. Charles has made these changes and can make these changes because they have a parking garage nearby, which was another investment that the city made into their infrastructure to make it more accessible for people to, to walk around. And this investment into their infrastructure appears to be working. On First Street alone, two retailers will be celebrating their first anniversary this fall, and both have seen a lot of success. Deborah Giampapa, the owner of Boutique Baby, told me that she has had a tremendous first year despite almost constant construction. She said the plaza is a destination that people come to and it spills out into the shops. I cannot wait to see the new project and what it's gonna do for business in the area. I personally have to imagine that it's going to do great things for shops all along this new plaza. It will be the new destination area. For stores to see this success despite the construction is a testament to the strength of retail in the area. There's a community element that encourages people to want to support their local retailers. 
That element of the community spirit can also be found within the retail businesses as well. Townhouse Books is an independent bookstore in St. Charles since the 1970s. It has expanded its business to include a neighboring cafe. Customers can find a new book and take it into the outdoor patio and enjoy a nice coffee, or cafe goers can find their next read while waiting for their table. Including both of these businesses in their business model has created an area that brings the residents of St. Charles together. Shannon Pepper, the owner of an interior design and home decor store called The Pep Line, offers her community a curated line of designer-approved goods, hand-selected and accessible all in one shop. She told me that many people desire to redo their homes, but really don't know where to start. If they like how something looks in my store, they can buy the whole display and recreate it in their homes. Shannon and her team also do in-home designing through a service they call the Pep Fam. They load up a van full of items, go to a customer's home, consult with them, talk about a budget, and completely redesign whole rooms for them. The Pep Line doesn't just focus on selling a product. They want their community to feel supported and cared for through their business. St. Charles, Illinois has a beautiful Main Street district, rich in history and traditions, but it seems to understand that they must take that extra step to bring the community together for their independent businesses to thrive. The changes it's undertaken in developing new community infrastructure underscore the importance of this movement. The retailers have responded in kind, taking more proactive approaches to include the community in their businesses. As Deborah of the Boutique Baby said, this is my happy place, and I want St. Charles to feel that way too. Now if we look at the town of Goshen, Indiana, which will be our second stop on our Main Street journey today. Goshen, Indiana is in northern Indiana, and it has undergone a revitalization that's really focused on restoring the historic downtown to bring events to this incredibly charming area. Since 2006, the organization Downtown Goshen Incorporated has spearheaded efforts to really help their Main Street thrive again. This isn't to say that the downtown area struggled before 2006. As I walked around and met with retail owners, I was really shocked by the long tenure of many of the businesses. The Soapy Gnome is celebrating its 10th anniversary this year. Jules Boutique will have its 20th anniversary next year. Woldruff's Footwear and Apparel has been in business for 31 years. And of course, the standout in the crowd is Snyder's Leading Jewelers, which has been in Goshen for 162 years. Like, think about that. They opened their doors when the U.S. Civil War was just getting going. That's an incredibly long tenure for a local retail store. I wish I was able to spend more time with them and learn about their store. They declined to be a part of the Main Street Monday event. This happens every week in every town that some stores just don't want to participate. But for a store with an incredibly rich history, it hurt my heart a little bit to be rejected by them. But hey, c'est la vie. There were some really wonderful retail stores in Goshen that I did get a chance to meet with. One of the more unique stores that I've come across is Found Gallery. Found is part mid-century modern furniture, part international art gallery. Outwardly, it felt a little bit strange, but once inside, it totally made sense. There were rooms that were dedicated to 
retro and vintage desks, chairs, hutches, and artwork right out of a madman. Very geometric, long, angular legs, the use of glass tables. My wife loves this style and was sending me all sorts of requests to buy things when I was posting the photos. Had I brought a trailer with me and a whole bag of money, we might have ended up with an entire new furniture set for the home. But other rooms or other sections of rooms were all fair trade, handcrafted items from Africa, Central America, the Caribbean, Southeast Asia. There were paintings and drinkware and lamps, wall art, carved masks that really gave found its name. These are not items that you'd see in every store. The owner went out and searched for these artisans worldwide to work with and to represent. It was a fun experience, really, to see how the combination of what appeared to be two very contrasting styles converged harmoniously. Despite the long tenure of a lot of the retail establishments throughout Goshen, Downtown Goshen Incorporated recognized that they really could do more to help revitalize Main Street. The first step was a movement to update the aesthetics of the downtown. Buildings that date back to the mid-1800s understandably need a little bit of tender love and care. So the DGI created a facade grant program that would match expenses by businesses and building owners to restore the building facades. Today, visitors are in awe of the distinctly vibrant colors and freshly renovated elements that adorn the downtown buildings. They've done a wonderful job revitalizing these facades and making them look brand new. I always love a Main Street with brightly uh, colored buildings. I saw this in Bloomfield, Iowa just a few weeks prior to my visit to Goshen, and there's something so refreshing. These buildings are over a hundred years old, and so basically there's two approaches that you can take. One is to modernize the look, make them bright and white, and basically paint over or remove the historical elements. Now look forward into the 21st century of what a modern building would look like. The other is to renovate the exterior and bring back its essence. And I know the way that I just said that seems like there's one right way and one wrong way, but neither is wrong. They're just different approaches, and both can work depending on the area and what the town wants. But in my mind, I liken it to an ancient Greek or Roman sculpture. Today, we see them as beautiful white marble, and we appreciate the fine detail and the craftsmanship of the sculpting. However, when they were made, they were not viewed as simple white marble. They were elaborately painted with wild colors and different pigments. Some people have recreated these uh, based on paint that's left over and what we know about architectural style and uh, other paintings from that era. And people look back on them and they comment on how hideous they look and question that artistic mindset. But that's what was appreciated then, and you have to understand the mindset of those contemporaries to, to fully appreciate the art. Now, I've digressed radically, and I don't mean in any way to imply that one would look at buildings painted pink and yellow and green and dark blue and red and purple all on the same block and think that they look hideous. Maybe that's not someone's cup of tea, but again, it brings authenticity to this historic downtown area. I appreciate that 
I love to think about what the buildings looked like in the 1800s and be able to see that in the modern day. But again, some areas want a more contemporary look, want something more modern, want to look towards the, the future, and others want to have that historical element. The Downtown Goshen Incorporated organization is also focused on consistent event planning to bring people into the downtown and involve businesses. The beginning of every month is marked by a First Friday event that ranges from holiday festivals to environmental celebrations to car shows. The local movie theater always advertises these events on the awning alongside the newest movie to come to, to the screen. A quick sidebar, I love old movie theaters with that big awning that sticks out over the sidewalk with the bulb lights, the wording that you have to change by hand. There's something so romantic, if that's the right word about these. They're going out of style, except in areas that really prioritize them, but I would love them. I want people to, to keep them. I want these fixtures to be part of towns. But again, I digress. Part of the first Fridays, the city has arts tours downtown to celebrate its local artists. That one was just this past October. Uh, in November, they had a featured a lights parade. December, of course, is going to be a hometown holiday event. Every month, every first Friday of every month, they're having something to celebrate, bringing people in. Restaurants and businesses are encouraged to participate by offering themed food or promotional items for the event. Vince Turner, who is the communication specialist at the Goshen Chamber of Commerce, says that these events can bring in tens of thousands of people, depending on which event it is. And art was prevalent all throughout the city, which was so nice to see. There was a real celebration of local artists. There were public artworks all along the sidewalks, down side streets. There were many different types of arts to installations that looked like giant flower pots to wire sculptures of people and dancers. Because this was the beginning of fall when I visited, there were corn stalks and haystacks and pumpkins placed all throughout Main Street. And what I thought was really nice was one whole alleyway was just decorated with large paintings done by local artists. Some were adults, but other were done by children. It transformed what easily could have been viewed as a seedy alleyway into a bright and cheerful, color-filled walkway for people to connect to different streets. Another element that has allowed Goshen to really thrive is its exceptional walkability. Of the 20 plus towns that I've gone to while doing my Main Street Monday tour, I think Goshen might be the most walkable and pedestrian friendly that I have visited yet. This is partly due to the rerouting of US 33 away from its Main Street. This has decreased the traffic in the downtown area and made it safer for pedestrians. But the town has also made simple infrastructure changes around its walkways to make it easier for pedestrians to navigate. These include extending curbs and removing parking spots immediately around the walkways and intersections. These practices are known as daylighting, which allow pedestrians and automobiles to be able to view each other better and diminish accidents. Now, I'm stealing this term from an organization called Strong Towns, which, no free ads, 
but is a wonderful organization to follow, to be able to look at infrastructure changes that towns can make to implement and make them more friendly to businesses and people that exist within those towns. I feel like the last 10 minutes have basically been a subtweet to strong towns. I see you all. We both want the better implementation of policies to ensure that people feel safe in, lo in their local areas so local businesses can be more successful. But I loved these extended curbs and protections around them. So you could walk a little bit out into the street and have a clear view of oncoming traffic. If you've followed my Main Street Mondays and the lives that I do from each area, I have a constant fear that I am going to be hit by a car. I'm talking into my phone or I'm looking at uh, everything around me. I'm looking at the town as I'm walking. I have to cross streets. And while many at many areas there are lights or there are stop signs or something, but it is a little bit worrisome that I might get hit one day but I felt safe in Goshen. I didn't feel as though that there would be a car that would blow a stop sign or blow through a walkway and be able to hurt someone. Goshen even took this a step further and added planters to these protected areas, which inhibit a car's ability to park there. You know, it's one thing of taking away parking spaces from around walkways, but if a car still decides to park there, then it doesn't do any good. So they've taken uh, these away, they've also added in planters, and it makes it a nice aesthetic look that makes the area much nicer, it can be decorated seasonally, and it's also another place for the city to show up and show out for itself. But I'm sure there's also a functional standpoint as well. It's much easier for cars to see these. A driver might not see these white cones that are protecting the walkway, although I really hope that they do, but they're certainly going to see a big brick barrier with flowers in it. The increased safety and walkability of the area has increased the presence of people downtown, and that allows them to spend more time walking around, more time visiting stores, and more time spending money there. The city of Goshen has made conscious efforts to invest in its downtown by restoring historic buildings, creating consistent events, and improving the safety for residents. These investments are paying off and helping make Main Street retailers thrive. These two communities really share a lot in common. They both focus on the arts and the culture of their town to set themselves apart. They have both made a lot of efforts to make sure that the practices are in place to make them more walkable and safer for pedestrians. So I really wanted to talk about these two communities together and group them in a conversation about infrastructure and what communities can do to support their business districts. And I know I said I was going to skip Lanesboro, Minnesota and come back to them in another episode, but the more I've thought about it, the more they fit in this conversation as well. Now, they fit differently, but they do fit in the same breath as St. Charles and Goshen. I guess if you looked at the title or the description of this episode, it gave away the fact that I actually would be talking about Lanesboro, but this truly is a little impromptu. So, Lanesboro, step on up. Minnesota has entered the chat. This is the first town in Minnesota that I've done as a Main Street Monday visit. There are quite a few great towns in Minnesota that I have on my list to visit, so assuredly, you will be seeing more Minnesota in the future. But Minnesota is also gigantic, and there are some towns that are a much further drive than I would like to do going there and back in one day. 
So this is my first dip of a toe into the land of 10,000 lakes. To begin talking about Lanesboro, we're going to start with a little geology. Not where you expected this podcast to go, I know, but hang with me. Within southeast Minnesota, and actually parts of Illinois and Iowa as well, there's an area that's been nicknamed the Driftless. Now, it doesn't mean that people just kind of wander around and don't have a direction, just aimlessly going about their lives. This is more of a geological expression. By fate, this area was left untouched by glacial expansion that flattened out much of the upper Midwest. When you think of the Midwest, I'm sure you think of flat plains and farmland. That's because thousands of years ago, glaciers came through and smashed everything that stuck out off the ground. That's why on a clear day, you can see from Omaha to Chicago. Not really, but like, yeah, kind of. However, in this little nook of southeast Minnesota, instead of flat plains that characterize every bit of surrounding area, this area is known for steep hills, bluffs, and deeply carved valleys. It's within the bluffs and valleys created by the Root River that you can find this town of Lanesboro, Minnesota. Founded in the 1860s, you know, when Snyder's Leading Jewelers was already up and running in Goshen, Lanesboro has been a longtime destination for those who enjoy the outdoors and the gorgeous nature scenes that dominate this area. It truly is gorgeous. I was awestruck while driving through the area. First, I just never expected this terrain, but I also visited as the leaves were beginning, were beginning to turn. So I was presented with rock walls covered in yellow and orange and red foliage. It felt more like New England than anything you can imagine in the Midwest. The town was built and grew to prominence as train lines connected the area to the outside world and then brought generations of tourists to visit and experience this natural beauty. However, the construction of new highways in the 1950s did not run through Lanesboro. This created a real problem for the town as train travel decreased and rail lines eventually became obsolete. With an economy primarily driven by tourism, Lanesboro was left in a lurch. For the ensuing decades, the city turned towards the agriculture and industrial sectors and awaited the day when their potential could be unlocked again. In the 1980s, Minnesota passed the Rails to Trails Act, which set aside money to convert those old and abandoned rail lines into recreational trails. And suddenly, Lanesboro was reborn. The area's natural geography made the trails of the Driftless a paradise for bikers and hikers alike. So while this wasn't wholly an infrastructure initiative initiated by the town, the state had a gigantic hand in this as well. The concept of converting elements that were exclusively used for transportation into usable and profitable things for the city was a major step for them. And again, it's different than how St. Charles is converting its roads into walkways and a plaza or how Goshen has removed parking spots to beautify the area and make it safer for pedestrians. But one can view these things through the same lens. Within a few short years, Lanesboro was rediscovered as a tourist destination and quickly became known as Minnesota's bed and breakfast capital. With the influx of tourism and outside attention, City of Lanesboro recognized that they needed something else to provide visitors to do when they came to visit their trails. Even in the downtimes, Lanesboro had attracted artists, so they turned to their artist community to revitalize the town. 
The Commonweal Theatre opened and brought in a rotating repertoire of comedies, dramas, and musicals to entertain residents and those visiting for the weekend. Soon, a century-old building that had previously housed a local general store was converted into an art center, attracting artists and exhibits across Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa. Murals and artwork popped up all over the city, celebrating its history with musicians, theater, agriculture, and out outdoor activities. In the other two towns I've spoken about in this episode, they have celebrated their local artists and brought them into the fold and made them part of the downtown. In Lanesboro, the city was, in many ways, built by artists. They aren't just celebrated as being part of the community, they are perfunctory to the way it operates. They are its soul. Lanesboro's Main Street has thrived around the theater and the art gallery. New restaurants, coffee shops, and retailers have emerged by the dozen. People come for the biking and the theater, but they stay and shop. It was actually a little funny. I wore my typical jeans and hard on Main Street shirt while walking around the town, and I felt kind of out of place because I wasn't in biking or fishing gear. The town was filled with people who were just about to start or had just finished long mountain bike rides, and then they went to dine at local restaurants or stop off in a local shop. And the river that runs through the town makes it great for fly fishing. That's two mentions of fly fishing in one podcast. That's a record that should never be topped. So there are people in their waders and their hats visiting the local fishing store. Pride in Lanesboro and the community has grown tremendously. Retailers like The Peddler focus on products promoting Lanesboro, The Driftless, and other local artisans. By the way, there's a lot of good kind of pedal-related and biking-related names within the town. It was fun to see that incorporated. The Amish Experience Store also featured many items that were made by the local Amish community. The Root River has brought in the outdoors and fishing community, and retailers have appeared to provide merchandise for them as well. This mixture of old and new and unique and traditional elements that you can find in retail stores perfectly encapsulates Lanesboro. It's a unique geography and a more recent burgeoning economy amidst what has been traditionally a beautiful tourist destination. So while these three locations vary in location, size, architecture, and just about every imaginable way, they have many things in common. They have focused on transforming their infrastructure to make things more accessible for their population and more people-centric as opposed to more car or transportation-centric. This varies from converting old rail lines to bike trails, all the way to completely eliminating driving spaces to make things more walkable and make more walking spaces. But there is a similar element there. They all focus on the arts to make their downtowns feel personable and warm and welcoming. By doing these things, they've brought in more people to their downtowns. They've created more spaces for them to congregate, to walk, to shop. And as a result, all three have seen independent retail thrive. Now we've gone on to visit many more towns and communities, and I'm excited to share these stories with you. I can hardly believe it, but I'm almost caught up in real time to my Main Street Mondays and this podcast. Next week, I'm going to tell you about my visit to Saratoga Springs, New York. I had an incredible visit to the city where I was hosted by a fantastic retailer, the owner of Impressions of Saratoga Springs and the Dark Horse Mercantile, Maddie Zanetti. 
I'll also have an interview for you as well with Heidi Owen West, the owner of three retail stores in Saratoga Springs. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. You can follow along with our Main Street Monday series by following us on Instagram at heartonmainstreet, all one word. And if you'd like your town to be featured as a Main Street Monday community, let me know. Send me an email at contact at heartonmainstreet.org, put a comment on one of our videos or on this podcast. I'd love to see where you live. This episode was written, produced, researched, edited, and hosted by me, Patrick Kaiser. If you'd like to learn more about our organization or support the things that we do, you can visit heartonmainstreet.org. Thank you all so much.